Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 36. If you're new to Woodburn Baptist Church, let me tell you that in a a strange way, in a wonderful way, we are one church in two locations. And and at this moment, I want to welcome all those at the Franklin campus. Pastor Eric, I love you. Franklin campus praise man, you guys are great. And I appreciate all that you're doing uh, for the cause of Christ in Franklin. Uh, Let's look together to God's word in Psalm 36. I begin with verse 1. It's a great passage of Scripture. Lots of times in Scripture you'll have a situation where there are two ideas or two things contrasted, and this is one of those situations. So pay attention to what two groups or what two ideas are contrasted. And of course, you're going to try to find yourself in the Scripture at that point. Also consider what choice you have to make when you read a scripture like this. From Psalm chapter 36, verse 1 is actually a little bit hard to translate. So your Bible, your English translation may say something a little bit different. But this is what the New Living Translation says in Psalm 36, verse 1. It says, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil. That's important. Verse 5, your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. I like that. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down, never to rise again. That's the word of the Lord. About this time, some of you are probably thinking about lunch. May I suggest Chinese food today? How many of you like Chinese? Yeah, Chinese restaurants. Do you like the really swanky, nice Chinese restaurants, or are you kind of the hole-in-the-wall, uh, ordinary, cheap Chinese food? Which, which is your type? Anything. Uh, everything. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have a, I don't know, I tend to find myself more often in the cheap Chinese restaurants, the ones with that paper placemat, you know what I'm talking about? Chinese restaurants have this paper placemat, and it's kind of always the same wherever you are if it's a Chinese restaurant with a paper placemat. What's on the paper placemat? Yeah, the Chinese zodiac. So you can dabble in Asian astrology while you wait for your Mugu guy pan, I I guess. Always the the Chinese zodiac is there. And it's really kind of strange, and nothing against the Chinese people or, or their culture. I just don't see the Chinese zodiac catching on. For one really simple reason, if I'm supposed to find myself on this placemat, you're going to have to give me something that flatters me. You're going to have to give me an animal or something that that, that sounds like something I want to be. Have you ever studied the Chinese zodiac? When you study it, you'll find out that you are born in the year of the rat. They have rats. I mean, I'm telling you, in the Chinese restaurant, don't even say the word rat. 
But it's right there in the menu. You could be born in the year of the rat. You could be born in the year of the snake or the goat. Do you want to be born in the year of the goat or the dog? I'm telling you, I think they could work on this. Because honestly, I want something that flatters me. I, if you're telling me that I'm born under the, uh, the sign of something, give me something worth a striving for. Do you understand? Dogs, pigs, rats, goats. It's kind of like what happens, honestly, when you read Psalm 36, because you're supposed to find yourself in Psalm 36 just the same. You're supposed to read Psalm 36 and find yourself in the Scripture. And so right off the bat there, the first group described here are the wicked, the sinners, and you and I are not accustomed to thinking of ourselves in that way. And the wicked people are described here as the kind of people who lay awake all night long just dreaming up something wicked to do. And, and that's not you and me. We don't think of ourselves like that. So what we're expecting is after the scripture describes the wicked people, we're kind of expecting that next it'll describe who? Good people. Righteous people, more or less like ourselves. You understand? That's what we're expecting here. The wicked and then perhaps describe the righteous, the godly. You know, the kind of people who lay awake all night praying. You know, that, that sort of person. That's what we're expecting. A contrast between wicked people and good people. And then we can find ourselves between the two. But notice something extremely important in Psalm 36. That's not the contrast. You don't get to choose between wicked people and good people because I know where you and I would probably put ourselves, don't you know? But that's not the option we get. There are really only two options, and honestly only one, because the two things contrasted are the wicked and God. And if you've got to find yourself in this psalm, let me give you a, a hint. You're not God. You're not God. And so sooner or later, we have to recognize that, that we belong with the wicked. It's where we belong. Notice what it says in verse 1, characterizing the wicked. They have no fear of God at all. They have no fear of God at all. Honestly, that says everything. It says everything about everybody you know, and honestly, for you and me, it also says a lot about us sometimes. God help us. We just don't have a lot of fear of God. Now, I know we sing songs like Jesus loves me and often we speak of God as gracious and merciful and loving and kind and he is, and he is. But he is also the God who can speak galaxies and quasars, a God who can speak a black hole into existence, a God who speaks the whole universe into existence and is grander and larger and stands outside of everything you know. We're talking about that God, a God of all power, power you can't even fathom, a God before whom you are so infinitesimally small. Do you understand? This is a God for whom we should have some sort of healthy fear, some sort of healthy respect, but honestly, most people have no fear of God at all. They give very little thought to God on a day-to-day -day basis. They just don't think of him. And if they think of him, they don't acknowledge him as God. They don't acknowledge that God has the right to govern and command our lives, never thinking that it is God who puts breath in our lungs and therefore a God who owns our lives and to whom everything should be devoted. We don't think like that. No fear of God at all. Describes most everybody you know. Sinners. 
Scripture says we're all sinners. And notice how the Scripture deals with sin. Verse 1, what does sin do? Sin whispers. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. Let me ask you this. You've perhaps done enough sin to understand how sin works. So let me just ask you, why does sin whisper? Why do you think sin whispers? So that it will not wake you up. Listen to me. Sin whispers so that it will not wake you up. I got married 22-something years ago to a woman who talks in her sleep, as it turns out. And if you marry somebody who talks in their sleep, you will soon find out they talk in your sleep, too. I discovered this about 48 hours into married life, that my wife talks in her sleep. This is the first night I found it out. We were in our honeymoon in Cancun, Mexico. I was sleeping in bed with my wife. That's awesome. It's still awesome, but it was really awesome then. I mean, 48 hours into it, I'm in bed with a woman. That's awesome. And there we were, sound asleep in Cancun, Mexico, in the darkness of night, and I just wake up. I mean, I just come out of a dead sleep, wide awake, and I can only think of one thing. i got to have a Coke. I'm, I'm serious. Just out of a dead sleep, I'm thinking, I've got to have a Coke. And I started thinking, where can I get a Coke? I mean, I've got to have a Coke. I was so thirsty, and it's all my brain could think of. i got to have a Coke. And I started thinking, maybe there's a Coke in the mini-fridge in the hotel. Maybe I could get a Coke out of the mini-fridge. And while I'm thinking this, Coke, Coke, it's all I can think. My wife, out of the darkness, says, want a Coke? I said, I do. I do want a Coke. That's amazing. I was just sitting here thinking how much I wanted a Coke. I don't understand how you could know that. I would love to have a Coke. I was thinking maybe there'd be a Coke in the mini fridge. And then she says it again. Want a Coke? I said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you, baby. I am dying for a Coke. I am so, Coke is all I can think about. And then she said it again. And, and I listened and she said, you want a Coke? <laughs> Sound asleep. She was sound asleep. And so this is what was happening. She was talking in our sleep. She was talking in my sleep. And she was simply saying, want a Coke? Want a Coke? Want a Coke? But she was making that suggestion into the side of my brain. Do you understand? The logical part of my brain was switched off. I was not thinking. I was sleeping. But that suggestion was planted in my brain. And so when I woke up, all I could think of was Coke. It wasn't logical. It wasn't rational. And I never even asked why I had this desire. All I knew was a Coke was all I wanted. We're just lucky she didn't say you want to jump off the balcony. (laughs) But understand how the brain works because this is how sin works. Sin whispers so that it will not wake you up. Sin tends to work along the peripheral pathway of your brain. You know what I'm saying? Your brain sort of has two pathways. One is the central pathway. This is the way that important things go to your brain. The things that you think about, the things you ponder, the things you have to rationalize. Your central pathway to the brain. And honestly, none of us use the central pathway very often. Our brain works a lot on the periphery. The peripheral pathway in our brain. The peripheral pathway means that these are responses that are kind of automatic. I don't necessarily think about it. And a lot of what I do in every moment of every day is is using the, the peripheral brain. Do you understand? I'm not thinking. I'm just responding. 
And that's the pathway in your brain that sin wants to use. Sin whispers, just makes a suggestion, and it really tries to come in the back door of your mind so that you won't think, so that you won't wake up. Because honestly, if you stop to think about what you're about to do, you'd never do it. That's the stupidity of sin. You never think. You never stop to think about consequences. All that you do is respond to the whisper. You respond to that suggestion in the back door of your brain. And it's always very quiet and it's always very subtle, but it'll just simply say something like, hey, one more time. You know what I'm talking about? The suggestion of sin. It'll just say, one more time. Or it'll just say, nobody will ever find out. You'll never get caught. One more time and then you can quit forever. That's how sin operates. Just whispers, makes a suggestion in the periphery of your brain so that you don't think. Understand that to sin is always to do something that you knew better. You knew better at the time. That's the very definition of sin, to know better but to do otherwise. If you would think, if you would possibly stop, you'd never do these things. But sin whispers deep in the heart of the wicked, the scripture says. They have no fear of God at all. Verse 2, in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. That, that phrase, blind conceit, the, the, the literal language there means they flatter themselves. Talking about the wicked, talking about all of us, honestly, we flatter ourselves in such a way that we never really see our own sin. Now, I can see your sin from a mile away in the fog, but I don't see my own sin very well. And you're the same way. We can see other people. We can see what rotten people they are, but we never see the rottenness in us. We flatter ourselves. What do you think that means, to, to flatter yourself? I, I'm, I'm a Facebook guy. I'm not on it all the time. I'm on the periphery of Facebook, but, but I'm on Facebook. Got a lot of friends, and I'm on and off maybe a couple of times a day. Some of you on, on Facebook, you've probably seen those, the, the wave that comes across Facebook about twice a week that says, we're looking for five million people who love Jesus on Facebook. If you love Jesus, who's with me? Press like. You know what I'm talking about? We're looking for five million people on Facebook who love Jesus. If you're with me, press like. You know, and everybody's just pressing like. Five million people on Facebook who love Jesus. And honestly, I'm a little bit skeptical. I mean, pardon me for saying so, I don't know anybody's heart. I honestly don't. But I can tell you one thing, if there were five million people who loved Jesus anywhere, it would be a different kind of world to live in. Remember that Jesus turned the world upside down with 12, with 12 men who loved him. If there were five million, something tells me the world would be turned upside down. That's the first place I'm skeptical. The other thing is that, I've got several hundred friends on Facebook, and some of those who click on how much they love Jesus today, five million people, who's with me? Some of those who love Jesus, last week they clicked on that they loved Hooters. Understand what I'm saying? Two weeks ago they clicked on they were a fan of smoking weed. Now there's just something in there that does not compute. Something tells me that if you love Hooters and you love smoking weed and you also love Jesus, who's with me? When you say you love Jesus, I'm thinking you're just flattering yourself. You flatter yourself to say that you love Jesus in any way, shape, or form because that's not being demonstrated by the life that you lead. 
I guess it's great that on Tuesday you're a fan of Jesus, but I'm really also interested in what you're a fan of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and every other day of your life. You might just be flattering yourself when you say you love Jesus. But blind conceit, the scripture says. In our blind conceit, we cannot see how wicked we really are. We flatter ourselves. We just don't see it. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful, verse 3. They refuse to act wisely or do good. That sounds harsh. Everything that a person says, everything that a person does, it's more true than we want to know. Because the fact is, in our sin, we lose that ability to really know right from wrong. I know your mama taught you well. I understand that we know certain basics of morality, but honestly, we don't have a very good guide in the world. We tend to look at other people, and that's how we gauge what's right, what's good, how we should live our lives. We look at our neighbors. We look at everybody else on on our floor at the dorm. We just look at other people, and we compare ourselves to other people, and they will never point us to the way that is right to live. They won't because they can't. There's not a person in the world that is not in the same boat. We're all sinners. And for that reason, you can't find anybody, not one righteous person. There's no not one, Scripture says. There's nobody out there that can help us set the moral compass correctly. It's just not there. Nobody can help us. There's a guy named Jake who was about to move off to college. He lived his whole life with his mama. And the thing about Jake, he was not colorblind. He just could not pick out his own clothes. Wasn't colorblind. He just was missing that that part of the brain or missing that chromosome that would help him know that stripes and plaids don't go together or just to help him match things. He had no ability. So for his whole life, his mama laid his clothes out. Whole life. Anybody know that guy? You know a guy like that? I mean, his mama. And then he had to go off to college. And mama's thinking, my goodness, this is never going to work. This boy can't dress himself. And Jake knew he couldn't dress himself. So you know what his mama did? Mamas are good. Any of y'all old enough to remember Garanimals? Remember Garanimals? What are Garanimals? I think it was J.C. Penney. You used to could go in and, and, and there would be a little tag sewn in the back of a shirt with like a tiger, rawr, a tiger, and then you could get a tiger shirt and it would always match the tiger pants. So that's how you could match your clothes when you're five with Goranimals. So Jake's mom, before he went to college, she went through all of his clothes and sewed in little animal tags. She made him Goranimals. So that this grown man could get out his clothes in the dorm and he could look and he could find a lion. He could find a lion and then look at the tail of his shirt. And if it had a lion, he knew that it was an approved outfit from his mother. You understand? Okay. Now that's one thing. That's one place where Jake had a problem. But this is where you really find out how, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a guy this, this guy was. Jake one day in the dorm told people that. He told the guys in his dorm that his mama had sewed little animal tags in all of his clothes so that he would know what matches. What do you think happened? (laughs) Several days later, Jake was just walking downtown, walking, and this old lady stopped him, and she said, young man, I need to tell you that you must not wear bold stripes with bold plaid. 
He said, ma'am, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? She said, the clothes you're wearing, you cannot put that together. That does not match. He said, lady, look at here. And he showed her, like an idiot, he showed her. I got a lion right here and a lion. He showed her the tags, and she just backed off and walked away from him. He went back to the dorm completely confused, telling his guys, I don't understand. I got two lions on, but there's a lady that tells me I don't match. What do you think the guys did? Yeah. They laughed and laughed and laughed. What had they done? They went into his closet and switched all his tags. Do you understand? This is how you and I are in the world. It's how we are, especially when we look to other people to give us a guide for how we're supposed to live. They don't know either. They're not able to point you in the way that is right because they don't know what is right. Nobody does what is right. It's what the scripture says. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts, no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they are. Notice what happens in the passage. The psalmist is reflecting on the wicked, and he describes actually very, very well what the wicked are like. But then he turns to contrast that, and he does not contrast that with good people. He doesn't follow that with a, with a description of what righteous people are like. You know why? Because there aren't any. There aren't any righteous people. He turns from talking about the wickedness of people and he begins to talk about what? The love of God. Your unfailing love, O oh Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. This is a song these days if the words sound familiar. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike. How precious is your unfailing love, O oh God. Verse 7, notice what it says. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. All humanity. We just talked about the wicked and what they're like and how they would rather walk in their sin than, than turn to God. But then we start talking about God and we find out that this is a God who shelters all humanity, including the wicked. You understand? He loves the world. He loves people. And although people turn away from him and will not turn from sin and come back to him, God continues to shelter all humanity, the covering of his wings. Notice what it says. You feed them, all of us, from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. I love that. Letting them drink. We're talking about the wicked too. We're talking about everyone. God lets us all drink from a river of delights. So stop and think. Why does it say river? A river is something that flows constantly. It doesn't come out in spurts. It flows constantly. A torrent of water flowing all the time. And this is what God's blessings are like, what God's goodness is like. Like a river flowing all of the time toward every one of us. A river flows constantly. A river also has a source. It comes from somewhere. So what the scripture says is that all humanity, every one of us, all of us sinners, we, even though we are sinners, live in this constant flood of blessings. God continues to send good things our way, and he does it constantly, and he's doing it for you right now. 
I don't understand it, we don't deserve it, but God is just simply that good, that gracious, that loving. He continues to bless our lives, and you are standing hip deep in a river of blessings every single moment that you live. But you never stop to recognize that, do you? You just never stop. You and I, we can complain and we can get so bitter. Some people even come out and say they're just mad at God. I'm mad at God. They say, well, what in the world do you have to be angry about with all that he's given you? Because every good thing you've ever known has come from him. The breath in your lungs in this very moment, the strength in your bones, the wonderful family you have, the parents that you've known, The beautiful breeze today, the food you'll have for lunch, everything good comes from him. You live in this river of delight, the scripture says, and there's a source for all of it. The source is God. See, this is the problem. Since we forget about God and we don't acknowledge God, we never stop and ask where all these good things come from. As a matter of fact, sometimes, most horribly, we begin to think that we are the source of good things. We begin to think that we have all these good things because we deserve them or because we're born in America or somehow because God smiles on us especially, but we never stop to just stop and really recognize that everything good, everything good comes from him. He's the source of it. So there's a contrast in this psalm. It's not the contrast perhaps that you're looking for. You do need to find yourself in this psalm, but you may not find yourself in a way that flatters you. Because honestly, the the choice that we have from this psalm is not whether or not we're going to be wicked people or good people. That's not a choice that is ours to make. Because let me tell you something very, very important. I don't know you well, but you're just enough like me that I can say this. You will never be good. You can't be that good. You can be better than a lot of people, and I expect that you are, but you can never be good enough to deserve what God wants to give you. You can never earn that or deserve that. We're all sinners. Sin whispers deep within my heart and yours too. This is just the truth about us. You really don't have the option to be a wicked person or a good person. It's not your choice to make. You do not have the power to be a good person. You will fail. You will always fall short. The same is true for me. So the choice is not between being a bad person and a good person. The choice is between living after your sin, the whispering in your heart, or turning away from your sin and turning to God. That's your choice. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. This is what we mean in in Baptist churches or churches like ours when we talk about getting saved or becoming a Christian. It's a choice you make. It's got to be a choice that you make when you recognize the sin in your heart. You may be better than a lot of people. I expect that you are, but you are not what Christ made you to be. You're broken. You're a sinner. When you recognize that, you're halfway there. Once you recognize that you have a need, once you recognize that you have a problem, then you can begin to fathom that Jesus himself is the solution to your problem. He is the only one who can forgive your sins and make you a new person. I want to invite you to do that. 
I know it would sound strange to some of you, and it would feel strange, but, but I'm telling you, this is what could happen today, right now in this moment. If you're willing to confess your sin, as Scripture says, if you're willing to trust Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, if you're willing to turn away from your old way of life and begin a new life with God in Christ, if you're willing to make that change and understand, it can happen today. In this moment, you could come to this altar as we sing in a moment, and you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. It's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. It could happen for you right now. Well, Brother Tim, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to walk the altar. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I need to think this over. Okay, I encourage you to think it over. I wouldn't want you to come forward and make a commitment like that that you're not ready to make. So let me give you another option. If you're in this house or in the sound of my voice and you're drawn toward Christ and you're thinking about maybe become a Christian and you're listening to what the word of God says and thinking about the sin in your own life and you're tired of feeling guilty and tired of feeling lost and and so dissatisfied with your life, then listen to me. Keep coming back. Keep coming back to church. If you're here today, just keep coming back and listen. And I mean really listen. Get yourself a Bible. They sell them everywhere. They give them away places. I mean, get yourself a Bible and really read it. I mean, really read it. Not like somebody's reading it to you and you're only half listening. Read the thing. Really read the Bible. And I want to invite you to pray it. I want to invite you to respond to God in all the ways that you know to respond to him. Come on, go ahead. If you're thinking about this, why don't you get really serious about it? I even go so far as to say, come and spend a day with me. Or find a Christian that you respect, somebody that seems to be getting their life together spiritually. Ask them if you can spend a whole day with them. Just follow them around. See what their day is like. You can come with me. I'll take you to the hospital. I'll take you to the funeral. You can go everywhere I go. I'll buy you lunch. I just love to show you Christ. I love to talk about Christ with you. Don't feel ready to make a quick decision. Don't make a quick decision. But make a decision. Think long, think hard about it, but you better think about it. But understand one thing, verse 12. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down never to rise again. It's not good. Verse 12 is just a simple reminder that that time runs out. That right now God's love and God's grace is extended toward everyone, all humanity together. The offer of salvation, the offer of forgiveness, it's offered to all of us right now. But it won't be offered forever. There really is going to be for you a time when it's going to be too late. A time when if you perish in your wickedness, you'll dwell eternally in condemnation for your wickedness. You understand what the scripture says? You do not need to be lost for eternity. But if you wait too long, you may pass that point that would be called too late. You don't want to wait too late. The offer of salvation is extended to you today. We're all sinners. Christ died for all of us, forgives all of our sins if we'll turn from our sins and follow him. Follow him. Pray with me. God, we've all heard sin whisper in our hearts. Oh, God, all the time, all the time, sin whispers. That darker side of us, Lord, that that continues to pull us back to old ways, that side of us, Lord, that would literally ruin our lives. 
whispers. But God, I pray in this moment that the whispers of sin would would be quieted long enough, Lord, that we might hear your voice in our heart. God, you have a stronger voice than sin, and you are able, Lord, to draw us to you. And you are able, Lord, to speak the word of forgiveness and transformation over our lives, Lord. You alone can do this for us. God, some of us fear you in a bad way. We keep at a distance from you because we're always afraid, Lord, that if we come to you, that you'll make our lives miserable somehow, that all of the fun will just be drained right out of our lives if we give our lives to you. But God, show us. Help us to know that you are the source of every good thing, every moment of pure joy in our lives, Lord. It came from you. And God, help us to know that the closer we come to you, oh God, the more blessings we will receive, the more joy we will taste, because you're the source. Oh God, some of us are living so far from the source of joy and peace and love. Lord Jesus, show us our sinfulness. Show us how far from you we are. Show us how to come back to you. Lord, I pray that those sin whispers deep within our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak louder. Speak to us, Lord. Tell us what you would have us to do. And then give us, Lord, the grace and courage to turn toward you. We pray in Jesus' name, but for our sakes. Amen.